0: you'll
1: find anywhere. Hugh Freeze updated us on the last two signees of the 2023 recruiting class. That is Quintrell Jamison Davis, uh, the number 51 Juco defensive lineman recruit. Um, he is feeling good about him that he'll be eligible to play or by the beginning of the season. He's not pretty confident about Quavius Sori, which many people have been not too confident about over the past several weeks and is looking more and more like he is heading the juco route which a little disappointing i know ike was pretty high on him um i think he was our biggest i know jc hart uh is was a recruit who was an athlete who was getting a shot at wide receiver but i know ike was excited about him so a little disappointing that he's going the juco route and won't be with the team this fall but those are the updates on him any thoughts on this guys in terms of now, these guys, I'm not quite sure if we were expecting much contributions for them this year, but a little disappointing. I was curious to see what what Sori was going to be able to do for us. Any thoughts?
2: Yeah, for sure. I've seen Sori play a couple of times. She's about an hour from me here in Pensacola over okay. in Chipley. So I've seen him play. I went and saw him play twice last year. Um, playmaker, man, like when he gets the ball in his hands, so he can take that thing to the house. I remember one, I believe it was like the first or second play of the first game I went and saw him play. Screen pass, 75 yards to the house, made four or five guys miss. Definitely a dynamic guy, but also kind of been hearing the stuff for a while that um, just wasn't going to be able to make it. So not really a big surprise. Um, and with with what, how Hugh Freeze recruits that wide receiver room, I don't think in the long run it's going to be a big issue. And when you get a guy like Caleb Burton that has was a five-star and has four years of eligibility, I think Hugh kind of knew this coming, right? this is You're basically picking up – I mean, he's got four years of eligibility. He's got plenty of time. So you're kind of making up for that in that spot, in my opinion.
3: Agreed, agreed. Any other thoughts, guys, on this?
2: Well, it, it helps
3: that the, the wide receiver position is probably the most loaded it's been in the hot minute. So it, it's not a huge loss, but it does suck that you lose a guy who's a who's a track star. I think he probably could jump the highest out of anybody in this wide receiver room, give or take height, uh, yeah, involved in that. Yeah.
1: For sure, for sure. And again, Hugh Freeze is, is still recruiting with this upcoming class. I mean, we got Bryce Kane on board who's mm-hmm. uh would be playing a similar role. So to your point, Dustin, Hugh Freeze is still recruiting heavily at that position, right. so I think we'll be just fine there. Hated for the kid, though. I'm pretty sure he was looking forward to being an Auburn Tiger. And Hugh yeah. Freeze didn't shut the door on him. Um, of course, he's always looking, um, guys at the JUCO level, if he shows and proves and there's a spot available, Hugh Freeze wants him, still may be an opportunity, but we will definitely see for sure. He also gave us an update on, in terms of injury report. Uh, just to go through the list of, of some of the injury or guys on the injury list, as you know, Brian uh, Batty uh, had toe surgery in the offseason. Uh, we mm-hmm. actually got a chance to see him a little bit um, in spring and looked pretty impressive. Hugh Freeze actually talked about how impressed he was uh, during spring, thinking he was more of a scat-back type, mostly being used in special teams, maybe uh, in-around stuff. But he was impressed with how he was able to run between the tackles. And so this was one of the things that even I remember hearing Caddy talk about the fact that, hey, this this kid can actually run between the tackles. Seeing him doing in spring was a little impressive, but he's actually saying he's going to suck it up and go per freeze, which tells me still not quite 100%. And I'm I'm curious as to how limited he'll be in fall camp. Um, hopefully he'll be a hundred percent by the time the season starts, but it sounds like he will be limited in fall camp thoughts on this guys.
3: Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think it's going to be that big of a, of an issue. And I mean, as long as he's, he can still run with, uh, with one, I think you still run with nine toes, right? You don't need all ten to, to run as fast. If
1: it's that big toe, no, nah.
0: you
3: can run. <laughs> I don't know about you
1: cutting or doing stuff it's like that, but you. you can definitely run a little bit.
3: Well, he can <laughs> he can still do kickoff returns and stuff. You don't yeah. need to cut that much on on those, but yeah, surely he'll be he'll be healthy because from what I've heard, he's he's a little bit stronger than his uh, than his height and weight put on. He, he can make a he can, he'll run through some people. So hopefully, he, yeah, like you said 100 percent by the time September second comes around. And the, the biggest thing for
1: him is I want to see the competition between him and Damari Austin. So mm. there's a selfish part of me that really wants him healthy so that we can kind of see how the competition stacks behind Jarquez. And depending on what happens with Jarquez, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, that also makes that competition takes front and center, given his status of being up in limbo. B-Will, you got any thoughts on this?
0: No, I mean, I kind of hate to hear that he said he's going to tough it out. Like, I want dudes to be healthy. Yep. I mean, you just you just got something fixed. Obviously, there was something wrong with it. I think we heard from Brian Batty's father um, closer to the spring, just after the spring, saying, yeah, he had this issue for a while. And he was just trying to tough it out for the longest. And and somebody finally told him, hey, man, you know you can get this fixed, right? So he's like, okay, well, I don't have to just fight through the pain anymore. I can get it fixed to be 100%. But I think the point is you're supposed to be getting the best version of him, the, the, the healthy, pain-free version, because that's when he's going to play his best. Now, I'm not worried about it because— I think Damari Austin is an RB1 on anybody else's team. I think Jarquez is like an RB1+. plus. So we got dudes. I'm not afraid of, of, of not having Brian Batee in the lineup, but I, I would hope that they just hold him until he's healthy. Like, that's what I want. I understand you might have to have him on kickoff because that really might have been his, maybe his biggest contribution, to, to the team this year is him on kickoff. So I get why they might want him back for that, but man, I'm, I'm hoping, or I was hoping that they held him off until he was completely healthy, but maybe he's just going to go. He had been playing with the pain up until this point. So between the coaches and if, if he's okay with it, then hey, glad to have him on the field.
1: And I'd be curious to see too how Jeremiah Cobb looks as well. That'll yeah. also determine what the coaches do with him as well. So that, again, it, it, a lot to keep watch uh, of and, and keep, keep in mind as we get into fall camp. There's an embarrassment of riches at the running back position. So hopefully the coaches are able to to manage these players and um, hopefully we'll have a full deck by the time the season starts and everyone's healthy. So mm-hmm. going down the list, uh, this is a position group that I'm actually pleased to hear. I think this has been some good news Jeremiah Wright, Cam Stutz, and Tate Johnson, a reporter by Hugh Freeze, are all set to go for fall camp. Guys, it looks like we're going to be in good shape, especially as it pertains to the interior offensive line. Uh, there's going to be some competition there. I know a lot of people kind of feel strongly about Jeremiah Wright being the starting left guard, but there's going to be some competition at the very least at right guard. Uh, you have a Stutz, uh, Tate Johnson. Um, I can't think of the other uh, transfer that we had coming in who can also play tackle. Uh, Is Muskrat. that the Was that? Muskrat. Muskrat. That's that. Muskrat. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be a lot of competition for right guard. And so to see that all these guys who Hugh Freeze, I mean, Cam Stutz made it to, to uh, SEC media days. So that tells you a lot about how uh, Hugh Freeze thinks about him. He spoke very highly of Tate Johnson who was battling injuries um during the spring. So I'm just I'm curious to see how the competition goes there with the inside offense, uh inside the interior of the offensive line. Guys, it looks like our offensive line is going to be in good shape. Uh all things considered, they stay healthy to to the start of the season. We know how this last season ended with our offensive line just dropping like flies and guys being rotated in and out everywhere across the offensive line it seems but it looks like we are in really good shape going into the fall camp with the offensive line and I for one feel good about that considering how many new faces we got up there thoughts
2: yeah I'm with you man I like the depth it just you feel so much better about depth than last year right if you have a guy like Muskrat on the bench you have a guy that we uh, are so highly titled like Xavier Miller uh, coming out of Juco off the you know off the bench and like you said last year, we just got decimated, and you saw it was just this was makeshift, just trying to throw it together. The coaching staff was makeshift, everything. You were just trying to throw everything together. So going into this year with what seems like conf- and a lot more continuity, a lot more depth, it's going to be about how those guys mesh, right? I think that Jeremiah Wright has one of those guard positions locked up. Mm-hmm. I just do. I know that he's been hurt, but if he can stay healthy. Then you have the question about can Tate Johnson stay healthy? That's going to be an interesting battle. will be Tate and Cam Stutz. Mm-hmm. And if you listen, guys, everyone, and Cam, Cam Stud said, said his name too, everyone's super high on Connor Lou, And it's easy to kind of write off a freshman offensive line, but I watched LSU win the SEC West last year with a couple freshmen starting on the offensive line. We oh. just spoke about the injuries that you're going to have. Connor Liu is going to have to start a game for us this year, I guarantee you. There's going to be injuries he's going to have to step up. A guy like Muskrat, they're going to have to step up. I feel a lot more comfortable about those guys in the depth. And then also them being put in the right position. Because who was it last year where we, Jeremiah, for example, you get to the Ole Miss game and then you go, why hasn't he been starting all year? Right. Right. And I just don't think that's going to be a thing. I think that you're going to have the best guys out there and then when they inevitably do get hurt, the floor is raised. I like the guys coming off the bench a lot better than the situations we've been in, in years prior.
1: Agreed, agreed. Dylan B. Will, what were your thoughts on the offensive line?
3: Well, I've I've gone to college a loop a lot, and I've said this. Uh, this is going to be the best offensive line Auburn's seen since 2017. And I have even gone as far to mention that Gunnar Britton's going to be the best tackle we've seen since Greg Robinson. Hmm. Just because of what he Freeze brought. Yep, wow. uh, he was the number two overall pick in the, in the 2013 oh, draft. Oh, I know who he is. I'm just saying. <laughs> he <laughs>
0: <So I'm pretty laughs> just gets right over uh, Prince tega
3: I I don't want to mess up his last name. (laughs) Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. uh, For what... for Tego was good. Uh, It was the fact he was just an edge rusher. And I always make fun of the fact that one of the best tackles that Gus Malzahn was able to recruit was an edge rusher. He just shifted over. But now we have a coach who prioritizes getting those big body, those powerful pass-blocking offensive linemen that Auburn has not had since, again, 2017. Uh, And that's that's the Braden Smith year. Uh, And this has just been... Uh, I, nothing but positive things have been said about this offensive line, and the only position you really got to worry about is that right guard position because you don't know who's starting there yet. And you know, and you probably didn't even uh, Jeremiah Wright has the left guard position in the bag, I think. And then you can't re- if you have one uh guy who doesn't play up to the strength of the other four, I think you're fine. I, I think Jeremiah Wright, Avery Jones, Gunnar Britton, and Dylan Wade are. That four alone is was would have would block better than last year's five guy five-man front. <laughs> and th- that's probably the funniest thing. Cause I think last last show I said that Albert had the 15th best offensive line in a 14-team league. Mm.
1: And again, I mean, it was makeshift it was a makeshift line. I mean, there was that was an infirmary unit by that point, uh, halfway through the season. So hopefully it's not a mash unit this year. Hopefully we can stay reasonably healthy and with so many new faces on that line, you do need some some those guys time to gel. And I think injuries hurt that. And I think uh we need some we need some positive luck on the offensive line this year. So hopefully yeah. that's that plays a big part. And I was impressed with what I saw on A-Day. I was impressed to see us actually moving the ball on the ground. And again, we start doing a good bit of that towards the end of last season as well. So I'm hoping that they pick up where they left off with last year. Uh, Malcolm Johnson Jr., who missed spring practice with a dislocated shoulder, is back. Um, I'm curious to see how he factors into this wide receiver race. Uh, J.D. Rem is also back after suffering a lower, uh, lower leg injury during spring. And something that I thought was pretty interesting here was they mentioned that North Texas transfer mm. Jair Shorter is still recovering from a foot injury from last year as well. So right. I'm curious to see, and and Hugh Freeze talked about having to manage him a lot, but Jair Shorter is kind of a home run threat. I don't see right. him as one of those possession receiver type guys, but... I'm curious what he means by managing him and how much of him he gets to see and how much he factors into this rotation uh, for the wide receivers. Uh, B. Will, your thoughts on, on on Jair Shorter. I know you've been pretty big on him. Yeah, you look at his stats and, and what he did, what his role was in that offense. I don't think there's anything wrong with
0: having a guy who is the deep ball guy. And you if you have a true deep ball threat in your offense, he doesn't have to be the best wide receiver on the field. You can be singular in your role and your purpose and provide incredible value for, for the team and for the offense. So when they, he said, manage him. I was like, Whoa, what, what? Right. That's, that's to take the top off dude. That's the dude that's going to make everything easy for everybody else. You talk about managing him. So he's not gonna be ready to go. I keep thinking about that first month of the season, man. If you're telling me Brian Batty's beaten up or he's not going to be hundred percent at the start of the season. Now Jair Shorter might not be a hundred percent start the season. Those are two key contributors, either on offense or special teams. When you're talking about Petit, that's field position and your ability to get the ball deep. Wait, what's going on Hugh? I didn't know that. I knew Brian Petit had the toe thing, but I didn't know that Jair Shorter was nursing anything from last year. Maybe if I had done a little more reading, I would have found that out. I did not. I just knew that he was a deep ball dude, so I was happy to get him. But um, I'm a little concerned. I'm a little concerned about that. Not that we don't have other guys who can and should be able to be on the field and contribute. But what he does and what Jair Shorter is best at, I don't know if anybody else on this roster is as good at that as Shorter is. So if you don't have that, or at least you don't have it in space like Shorter was able to produce it, what happens between the start of the season when he gets back completely healthy? Who's going to be in that role? Um, Is offense going to look different? Are you just going to have a different guy who maybe can't quite do it? Like, I don't know. What, what's any of this going to look like? You know what I mean? So I'm a, I'm a little slightly concerned about that, but nothing too serious because I actually do think, you know, one thing that's happened out, out of media days is Hugh Freeze talking about offense, the SEC Network people talking about Hugh Freeze and talking about the other coaches' respect for Hugh Freeze and offense. Mm-hmm. It left me going – Maybe we do have a dude who knows what he's doing with offense now. Because we we <laughs> haven't for the last, I don't know, what, what went 2015 to now. I'll give Gus 2013 and 14. From 2015 to now, we haven't had somebody who I felt like you absolutely get it. No matter what game we're in, we got a shot with the offense. It has been a while since I felt like that. But I finally feel like that. So a little hesitation because we're going to be missing some key people. But also not just because it's Hugh Freeze, Phillip Montgomery too. Like these are offensive minds and I I got confidence that they'll be able to put it together. At least hold it together long enough for the other guys to get back and then really make something
2: happen. Dustin, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm concerned as far as the shorter thing goes just because I don't ever like hearing about a guy being hurt before the season. And I'll give you two examples just with Auburn. Uh, The kid that just transferred to basketball to Syracuse, Chance. Here before the season that he's hurt and then he never Dance gets West right Street, yeah yeah and then um gonzo in baseball you hear that he has shoulder shoulders so, uh, excuse me shoulder soreness before the season and then he pitches 50 something pitches for us week one versus indiana we don't see him again i don't like hearing about guys coming into the season you're already saying you have to manage him and we haven't played a down in a physical sport that's that's concerning to me man i'm gonna be honest yeah
3: yeah
2: yeah D- dylan you have any thoughts
3: Oh uh, well, I I I'd be a little I'm a little worried that he's just hurt. Uh, you know his nickname is Touchdown Machine, so you you really don't want to miss on a wide receiver n- named Touchdown Machine. But I I think with the players behind him, I think it, Auburn's offensive w- won't struggle as much without him because uh, I think Shane Hooks is probably the biggest pickup at, in that wide receiver room just because of what he could can do. And I mean, he also could he he that's that's another proof of Hugh Freeze recruiting because he out recruited Lane Kiffin for for Shane Hooks. Uh, but I mean, look behind who I, I presume that Jair is probably going to play this slot. And I think Coy Moore and uh, Javarius Johnson can fill in that role fairly, uh, fairly well in the absence of Jair and Coy Moore has the opportunity to be probably better than we, what we can expect from Jair shoulders strictly because we don't know what Coy Moore can do in a quality offense. Unlike what he was in last year.
1: Yeah, and I I think Auburn still has guys who can take the top off of a defense. I just think what was so unique about Shorter is that he can not only do that, but he also had the size to be able to go up and get those those 50-50 balls as well. Um, And so I think he presented a unique challenge to uh, opposing team secondaries because of his size and his skill set. So I'm really hoping that he's able to get back on the roster and compete because I actually do want to see what he does in comparison to some of the other receivers I see people mentioning in the chat like from Camden Brown, Shane Hooks, uh all those other guys. He presents a unique matchup problem uh for opposing secondary. So I and I think this guy actually dealt with a lot of injuries too uh at his previous stop as well. So it makes you a little it makes me concerned when you consider his his injury history already. So mm-hmm. Hoping that it's it's something that he can get past and can get on the field. Um, and as and as we mentioned, already mentioned, Jarquez Hunter. He was, uh, of course, Hugh Freeze was being asked about that, and he gave a pretty statement that we can understand. He's not commenting on uh, what's uh, an investigation on the part of the university. So there is no update on that, and kind of curious when we'll get an update on that from the university. So. <laughs> Uh, but like I said, we do have a stable of running backs. And so I am excited about that. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the statements that Hugh Freeze was was asked in terms of play calling. I believe Mike G asked him about uh, play calling, um, his relationship with Philip Montgomery. And he basically alluded to the fact that the biggest thing that, which I thought was pretty interesting this being his first year of giving up play calling, since he was pretty much the signal caller or play caller throughout his career, he's kind of felt like he hasn't, may not have been the best at play calling in the nation over the past few seasons, starting with Liberty, which I thought was a very interesting comment from him. And one of the things that he mentioned is that while he will have, you know, the opportunity to step in and kind of, uh, make suggestions and key moments of the game. He really is entrusting Philip Montgomery, not only with uh, some of the terminology out there, but also with uh, just the actual play calling, just a fresh set of eyes to call plays with, which I thought was refreshing to see a commitment to that. More on that later with other coaches who wasn't so committable. But <laughs> want to get you guys' thoughts on... Just how someone who has cut his teeth on being a very respectable offensive mind, kind of having a sense of self-awareness to know that, hey, I may need some fresh ideas. I may need some guys who do things a little bit different. Offenses are similar, but actually kind of do things differently within a game. Talk about your thoughts about that. I'll start with you, Dylan, in terms of comments that Hugh Freeze had as it pertains to his offense.
3: this was one of the cooler answers that I that I think he had strictly because he talked about how they're the same offensive mind but the terminology is different and you kind of go into how you talk to different coaches about different strategies going into the seasons and you're like well you said that he he's worked with a couple of guys who were coaching in like Alabama and Georgia and a few other colleges around here that Auburn really wants to beat and they all pretty much know his offense they know what he's going to call they know the words the lingo that he's going to use but Phil Montgomery brings in a Another language on that offense, and and you bring up, and I don't know how much of the Liberty was him not being a good play caller, or if it was just the fact that he played harder competition with less uh, like talent at a Liberty school than he wanted at Ole Miss. But I, I think that Phil Montgomery and uh, and he Freeze is having the same mind in this offense. It, it works; it, they're going to bounce off each other very well. And this is what, and at, with Phil Montgomery and just what he's done with quarterbacks, and what freezes Freeze has done with quarterbacks. And I don't know if we're going to go into what Hugh Freeze said, I think, yesterday with Pete Thamel uh, about running two quarterbacks. But I think those two, I think Hugh Freeze could call plays very well for very well for Peyton Thorne, and I think Phil Montgomery could call plays very well for Robbie Ashford if it comes down to that.
0: We will. I think it was, like you said, self-awareness. I have to know who I am. He wants to succeed here, and he knows that he needs to put together a competent offense because we've been hurting for that for five straight seasons So he's like, who can, who's as good as calling plays? You have to at least respect somebody. You're gonna ask them to come call your plays if you're a play caller. If that's what you do, that's how you how you cut your teeth. You're not gonna bring anybody in just because they'll. You don't need a yes man. All right, a yes man is not gonna make you better. But somebody who's run their own show, been an OC, been a head coach, been a quarterbacks coach. I think that was just a good pickup. But he knew that he needed. Number one help seeing things differently like like C said, but also my the gig is the jig is up on me and, and what I call and how I call it and how I design it. We need somebody else. We need a coder. Uh, we, we need somebody else. I, j- I just got done watching the Jack Ryan series on Amazon Prime. All right. But they're not paying us. It's great. All right. Jim from the office killed it as Jack Ryan. He's still Jim from the office. All right. But <laughs> he killed it. All right? Okay. The last season, they were passing messages on how to do these covert ops and they had a code. They had a book. There's like a a book that they picked and this is how you decode the messages, right? So you got all this information that's going to be very common sense to anybody who intercepts it, but you need somebody to code it. So I know what you're talking about, but the other people don't. Philip Montgomery is the, he's the code. He is the guy that's going to take this Hugh Freeze offense that he said, it's always, it's going to be a passing offense. He's like, it's going to be principally what I've always done. But it can't sound the same. It can't come across as the same because other other people will be able to pick up on it. So you have to have some self-awareness to be able to make that call. All right, so that's a good thing. He also said in his interview, I want to say it was right after when he was sitting down at the panel with the SEC Network guys, and also Derek Mason was at the table as well. And he he said, when you have to spend so much time work focused on culture and locker room and recruiting, I can't do as much as I want to do with the offense. So I have to have somebody who I actually trust to run the offense. His focus is on recruiting, building culture and maintaining culture. There's only so much time in the day, man. There's only so much time in the day that you can spend doing anything. So you have to allocate your resources carefully, your personal resources, how much energy do you have? How much sleep are you going to get tonight? Because you got to sound real energetic when you get on the phone with this recruit tomorrow morning and tell him that you saw his game the night before and how good he looked and how he you know there's a role for him in your offense. Yeah, but if you only slept four hours because you went to bed at freaking three because you were trying to design some plays instead of letting Philip Montgomery design some plays, well, you know what? You cut off your nose to spite your face. Give it to somebody else. Give it to somebody you trust a respectable mind, and he seems to have understood, I can't do everything. This is how I delegate. I think that's, that's hard for some people to do. I think we saw that Gus Malzahn could not do that. He could not let it go. When he let play calling go, it's because somebody made him. And then when he took it back a couple years later, he said, yeah, I never wanted to give it up. <laughs> he was like, He said, oh, yeah, this is a good thing. Yeah, Red Lashley can call the place. This is exactly what I want. And then as soon as he's like, yeah, I'm calling place. That's what I want to do. I lied. I lied before. You can't do it all and be the CEO that you have to be. Philip uh, Montgomery is going to be the Robin to Hughes Batman. And I think it's a good thing that he recognizes that. Like From a emotional and mental intelligence standpoint, Hugh Freeze is making a good decision there. Uh, and I think it's, we hope it's the best decision as far as we don't want them sniping at each other and You know, like Chip Lindsey was about to beat Gus Malzahn up, apparently, after the Clemson game in 2017.
1: I was about to beat Gus up, (laughs) if if you believe
0: that story. But, yeah, I want to see some cohesion. I want to see them work together. well, And I think they will. I think they will because there's mutual respect. And Hugh Freeze has already said that he understood why it needs to happen. So I think it'll work well.
3: Well, uh, I think we're coming into the age of college football where offensive coordinators are getting more and more respect. And you mm-hmm. see that the top-level coaches that are winning championships and playing the college football playoff, they're not doing the play-calling. They're passing off to their coordinators. Uh, there's a, a team in the SC West that struggled last year because their head coach wouldn't give up play-calling. And mm-hmm. we'll probably talk about him in a little bit because he made a, he made a little bit of a, of a uh-oh when mm-hmm. he answered his question about play-calling. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
3: But we're seeing like with TCU, uh, you have uh, Lincoln Sonny. Riley's brother. Uh, Sonny Dykes was, is over there. Wasn't well, oh, that Sonny Dykes? Sonny
1: Dykes is the head coach, right? Um, it was it was
3: Riley. It was his Riley like, was his there brother. last
1: year, and he's now at Clemson. Yeah. And now, yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, uh, and now Browse, uh, Kendall Brows. Yeah, Kendall Browles is now there now. Yeah. So, and you see that that exchange of offensive coordinators because TCU wouldn't have been what they were last year if it wasn't for Riley. And we're going into Clemson hiring within their program last year for their coordinator. They hired, I think, one of the positional coaches. And we saw the downfall of their offensive, their offensive production. Yeah, DJ Uyanga couldn't make a read to save his life because he didn't really have a coordinator there. And mm-hmm. then you bring in Riley over from TCU, and now Clemson's back in contention for another playoff spot because the coordinators mattered more in today's day and age than they have in recent years. And now coaches can be more of be more game managers than anything else, be CEOs of the team rather than running a a branch of it at, and just kind of taking away time. Like Nick Saban has not had to call a defensive play. And I, and I since maybe like 2015, 2012, far, probably farther back than that. So that's the kind of coach that he is. And we've seen the success level of coaches who manage the team, not the offense, not the defense, but the team itself. And I think that's why Hugh Freeze making a great decision with Phil Montgomery here. And I think it
1: speaks to also, the type of coach he was looking for in his coordinators if you recall the offensive and defensive coordinator were head coaches elsewhere which means they know what they're doing
2: and well, Rob, so Robert's he doesn't blessing. have to
1: be he was he was at a smaller division he wasn't in in, in a, at a high level but yeah okay, he, okay. yeah, yeah he, he for a very small school and then he went off to uh, be a defensive coordinator i think at Lu, uh, louisiana um but yes, like these guys have ran teams, so they're they pretty much hands-off types of, of of guys that he can trust with schemes and 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 whatnot. But Dustin, it, obviously, this has to give us, I and mean, th- these guys have already alluded to it. It gives you comfort, given the PTSD we've had as Auburn <laughs> fans watching the handoff, give it back, handoff, give it back, as it pertains to play calling duties. Uh, from the head coach. It has to make you feel good about that.
2: Yeah, some of the things that stood out to me was like, so to Dylan's point about Hugh saying, I've sat down with these coaches, uh, so I have to change up my terminology. I like that paranoia. Like, uh-huh. that's how these good coaches, they're that way, man. They they don't let any little detail like that go unturned. I want a head coach that's super, super paranoid. That's not worried about posting workout pictures or skiing pictures <laughs> on Lake Martin, right, you know? And to as far as like his focus right now, and Dylan makes a great point about where college football is going. I think a lot of that is because of the portal, because of NIL, because of all these things. It's just, it's like, if you look at the pro game, a guy uh, like Sean McVay, right? He can be involved a lot in the game planning and the offense because The NFL is really just about ball. Like I know, Mm -hmm. I know that doesn't match the narrative, right? Because the narrative is college is all about the love of the game, and then the NFL is a business. And now college has become more of a business. Honestly, becoming a college coach right now. They're earning that paycheck. I don't want to hear people complaining about a college coach's paycheck right now. They're earning it, man. The stuff they yeah. have to do behind the scenes to keep their programs, to stay up and have to, at night and have to worry about what 120 19-year-olds are doing <laughs> with all this money they're getting for the first, you know, like, it's yeah. just, it's crazy yeah. what they have to go through. So just, it's kind of, Dylan made a very good point. So it's that's just where the game is at. These college coaches have to be the CEO types. They can't. They can't be as involved. So to have a guy like Philip Montgomery who we've all and this it's talking season. We've all everybody's podcast have done his numbers with RG three. We've all seen it. We know that Ron Roberts is an experienced guy. So it makes sense. Hugh steps back. I can trust these guys to run this right here. I have to get this locker room back straight because that's one thing that I it sounds corny, man. It sounds corny to say stuff like, we gotta work together as a team and blah, 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 blah. But like, it matters when you're in the trenches in the fourth quarter versus Ole Miss, Mississippi State, LSU. That kind of stuff matters. And he's not gonna snap his fingers and get it right like this season. He's not. Right. He can make improvements on the culture, but he can't fix it right now. He just can't. It's gonna be a work in progress. So I think that he understands that. And then as far as the recruiting, and one last point on this. I, I think it's funny when Hugh gets some of these answers, cause there's a lot of all shucks. Like when he like so when he says, <laughs> I haven't been one of the best play callers, and especially in recruiting, uh, I'm gonna try to get these guys, and then he flips Connor Lou and he flips <laughs> Keldrick Fall, and, you know, when he's at and he's after all the and it's just like there's a lot of all shucks in front of the camera and then behind the scenes getting it after it like a straight dog. So isn't that great? Some, yeah, I I like it. Isn't it, and it I, great? And I think it fits. I think it fits Auburn, man. I think it fits our fan base. I just kind of think it fits the way that we run. You know, we we want to shake our. Everyone says when they come to Auburn, right? This is such a fun place, and you guys were so nice to us, and yada, yada yada. And then secretly, like we we're trying to put the the boot on your throat, man. We're trying to I hope you had a good time. Come get some good lemonade, but we're trying to spank you by forty. And I think that all sucks mentality. That's kind of what Hugh has too, and it's fun to see, man. I'm excited agreed yeah,
1: agreed yeah. listen before we get to some of the uh to the to the break i want to run through some of these comments may give a few of you guys thoughts appreciate you guys for commenting with us as well drop a super chat if you definitely want it read uh brad Browning says elijah McAllister is an impressive dude smart well-spoken contributes to the community i'm really happy <laughs> AU you got him gentlemen thoughts about him uh i've I, I see why people were saying he's a he's a huge locker room guy, leadership, all these things. You can see it oozing out of him when he speaks. You can see how players in the locker room would get behind him. It's kind of difficult to not get behind a guy like him. Thoughts on him?
0: One thing that stood out to me about Elijah McAllister was not just how he presented at SEC media days and the things that the coaches had to say about him, both Clark Lee and Hugh Freeze, but... The fact that when we had the Fireside Chat, which is live on the YouTube channel right now, you see Fireside Chat. I just had to plug that. But also, Coy Moore, Camden Brown, and Jay Fair, wide receivers, who are not on the same side of the balls as Elijah McAllister, who are not in the same position group as M- Elijah McAllister, made mention of Elijah McAllister's value to the locker room and the team. They didn't know this dude before a few months ago. Right. Like, it's one thing when you have to see people, you know how whenever somebody's recruiting, right, and we hear, oh, well, you know, we got his roommate recruited to us, or maybe, oh not his roommate, his teammate, right? They play at the same high school. That doesn't mean as much as you think it means, because just because they're on the same team doesn't mean they like each other. That doesn't mean they, they know each other. Dudes click up and they hang. Like, you could tell that Camden and Coy and Jay hang, but that doesn't mean that. You bring a cornerback in with them and it was going to be the same chemistry, but you can tell when guys actually hang out with each other and they like each other. Elijah McAllister doesn't play ball with the wide receivers, but they respected him. They had respect for a guy that just got here that they didn't know before uh the first of January of this year, that they don't have to interact with every time in practice. The offense isn't just yucking it up with the defense and practice all like that that doesn't happen a lot. That means that he's had an impact, not just on the coaches, the people who recruited him here, but on the people who just saw him carrying himself in practice and in the locker room. They were like, you know what? I buy it. And that's not easy. That is not easy. You can have anybody come up and say, I'm a leader. And "Ah, yeah, I'm here. I'm like kind of what TJ Finley did, right? Just repeating all the stuff that the coaches say do. And yeah, you know the plays. But it's like people didn't really... The locker room didn't really get behind him like that. Like, there were people who thought he might be a better option at quarterback, so they were like, hey, you know what? I'm a T.J. fan. He might throw the ball a little better than Robbie can. But I don't think people really rode for T.J. like that. And I think that showed. Elijah McAllister is actually a leader. And one thing about being a leader, like anything else, if you are that dude, you don't really have to say it. People will say it for you. That's impressive. That's impressive to me, that we have one of those guys in the locker room. is huge. That... Hugh Freeze may have started really nailing this culture turnaround down quickly. That's a really good sign. So that's that's the biggest part of what I got out of Elijah
1: McAllister's presence on the team and, and at Media Days. Well said, well said. I'm going to get on to some more comments, guys. Uh, Christian Crawford says, I actually don't like all caps how Hugh Freeze is downplaying the season in the media. I wonder how players feel about his skepticism concerning the team's skill, talent, success this upcoming season. I think this has to do a lot with uh, what you said, Dustin? How Hugh Freeze has this all shucks mentality, kind of like he's sitting on a whole like two jokers, uh, six mm-hmm. spades, uh, and and aces and hearts and and diamonds. Like he he's he's like, oh man, I don't know about this hand, but he's getting ready to just cut everything, right? So yeah. I, I I think I think there is a there's a quiet confidence about him, and you kind of heard it when he was speaking with the media, talking about his history. He talked about what he did at Ole Miss, like the fact that at Arkansas State, they had losing seasons up until the point he got there, and they won 10 games. He, he goes to Ole Miss where they hadn't won uh, an SEC game in two seasons, and they go 7-5 bowl eligible. He go to Liberty where he actually thought he wasn't going to do well because they were making a big leap to the FBS. He turns them around in two seasons. And so everywhere he's gone, he's been able to turn the program around. Uh, they may not be competing for championships in year one, but he all, you can clearly see he has them going in the right direction after year one. And I think what Hugh Freeze is doing, and it's kind of a gamesmanship, but it's, it's being respectful to the fact that the SEC is a competitive league where a lot of programs are indeed getting better. And so I think he... he can only talk about what he's done. And he says Auburn has improved. I don't know if Ole Miss has improved. I don't know if Arkansas has improved. We'll know that when we play them or when the season starts and we see what pe- what teams are looking like. All I know is what Auburn looks like. And I think and I think to a degree, you're not going to see a lot of bravado because, again, he understands he's in the middle of a rebuild. He's in the middle of, of, a, of a project. And so I'm not going to talk about what we're doing we're just going to do. And so I, I think that's a lot of what you're hearing, Christian. I don't expect him to be talking a lot of junk for a four program that went five and seven
2: uh, and has two losing seasons two years in a row. Yeah. And, the, and the, last guy, the last guy said, just watch, right? He had plenty of bravado up there. And it didn't it didn't amount to anything. Didn't did it didn't amount to much. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then if you and Christian, I understand your point. I would say this though. Uh it was a couple of weeks ago, the clip was going around on social media of Hugh giving a pregame speech. It was one of their uh, one of their back-to-back victories versus Alabama. Um that was he wasn't very all shucks and ho-hum in that speech. He had them boys ready to go. It fired me up. So he, he's he's got a lot of fire, man. Don't worry about that. He's not. He's talking to those guys a lot different than what he's talking to the media. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Chris S says defensive
1: line play is my biggest red flag for the upcoming season. I'm still uh, worried about it. I'm still
2: worried about it. Yeah, I'm. I'm if with this if 100%. you're
1: if you're paying if you paid attention to what happened in in the spring game, I get it. I totally get it. Um, and I'm curious just to see again. You got new faces up on the defensive line. We. You lost Kobe Wooden. That's a big loss. Yep. And so those are some big shoes to fill. So I I get it. I understand the concern here. But they got some dudes. They did pick up some dudes in the offseason through the transfer portal. So I'm I'm curious to see how they get plugged in and how uh, they begin to gel. We talked about the offensive line gelling. Defensive line got the gel too. Um, We actually got a a video out with – uh, takeo spikes and he was talking about how you can be good as a linebacker but you got to have people in front of you who make your job easier and so the play of the defensive line is going to be important we're going to keep a close eye out on that